0: The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and Perizzites and Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I will consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at the tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. The Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, see, if you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favoring your sight, eyeing your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, eyeing your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing... That you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but these are the words of the Lord, and they will stand forever. Would you rather is a very popular game in the Jones household right now. Uh, Maybe for obvious reasons. We have a kindergartner and a second grader, and would you rather... Uh, is played a lot around our dinner table or in the car ride, but it's like the second grade kindergarten version of Would You Rather. For instance, last night, Jordan, our kindergartner, asked me, Dad, would you rather be baking soda or a stick? (laughs) It's pretty profound if you think about it. Here's my would you rather question for you tonight. Would you rather be the very famous and highly respected founder of one of the top five most visited websites in all of the world, one that you and I go to on a regular basis. Would you rather be a founder of that kind of website or would you rather be a multi-billionaire because you founded one of the most visited websites in all of the world? You may be thinking, why not both? Here's why. Because that's not how Jimmy Wells founded Wikipedia. He had to make a choice. It's pretty interesting. Jimmy, who was born and raised in Huntsville, Alabama, of all places, he started Wikipedia as a nonprofit—you know, crowdsource, anyone can edit encyclopedia online—and he never intended to make any money off of this website, which he basically has not made any money off the website. It's still a run from a nonprofit organization. It's literally one of the top five websites in all of the world, most traffic website in, in the entire world. And do you realize that like the other people on the list, the founders of the other websites of like the top 25 most visited websites in the world, they are billionaires, like multi-billionaires. Um, the, the founder of Google is worth like something like $50 billion or something. Uh, Jimmy Wells is worth a little over a million. Which I, I mean, I would take that. But like $50 billion <laughs> So he made a choice. He literally made a choice. Have you, thought, have you ever really thought, and I want to ponder this question with you tonight, what is it that I want more than anything else? Like maybe it is to be the founder of something that everyone's going to know. Like that may really be your drive. You want your name known. You may like have your sights set on the billionaire thing. At least millionaire. You may really want that more than anything else. For some of you, it's probably more simple than that, right? What you want more than anything else is to graduate. Like you just want to finish. You just want to get through final. Like what you want right now more than anything else is just to actually make it through this semester. Some of you want just a good job. You want to be married. You want to have kids or a family. What is it that you want more than anything else? What if God gave it to you right now? And he just gave it to you. The thing that you wanted right now more than anything else, he just gave it to you. The job, the car, the house, the paycheck, the comfort, the wife, the life, whatever. And he gave it to you right now, but he left out one thing, just one thing. He left out himself. Would you rather have it all, everything you wanted, without the presence of God, or If given the choice, would you rather have God himself, even if it meant you had nothing else? That's kind of the question of this text. It's really interesting where we land in this part of this Exodus story. I don't know if you realize God told them he would not be with them right off the bat. Did you catch that at the beginning? He told Israel through Moses that he was going to give them everything they wanted. He was going to take them to this land. That he had been talking about all along. That he was going to take them into this promised land. That they would have rest from their enemies. They would have all the food and drink that their hearts desired. They would be able to just kind of chill and everything would be good. A land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what that means, but it sounds amazing. And God said, you can have all of it. Take it, it's yours. Doesn't that sound great? But they don't think it sounds so great. Because in verse 4 it says they begin to mourn over this news. Why? Because God said at the end of that list, you can have it all, but I'm not going with you. Why would God say this? Why would he not go with them? Aren't these his people, the ones that he saved out of Egypt, the ones that he delivered across this Red Sea, that he's given his law to, he's revealed himself to over and over again, he's brought through the wilderness. Why would he abandon them now? If you'll remember our study last week, if you were here, God is not abandoning his people. They have abandoned him. They've turned to other idols, lesser gods. They've given up on God. And so God says, fine, you can have what you wanted, And I'm not going with you. What if God gave you everything you wanted? The position and student government? The recognition in your sorority, the attention from that girl, the grad school, the job sort of sounds like heaven, right? Like to to finally get what I wanted. But if you said you can't have me there, that is not heaven. That's the definition of hell, actually. Hell is the one place where God isn't. It's the opposite of God with us. And for Israel, the promised land without God was not heaven. It was hell on earth remember, it was their sin that led them into this situation. Their sin disrupted their relationship with God. Just like Adam and Eve did in the beginning, you remember, as God responded to Adam and Eve's first sin in the garden, he, he kicked them out of the garden. And now, essentially, God kicks himself out of Israel's camp. And he has this tent set up on the outside to show physically what was spiritually true. They had run away from God, he's on the outside. And so now that reality is hitting them like never before. And they begin to be broken because they come to realize something we all need to begin kind of reckoning with in our own lives. Here it is. God's presence is the thing we need more than anything else. God's presence is the thing that we need more than anything else. And what keeps us from believing that truth is the same old lie that there's something better for me than him. Like there's something better. We're kind of back to that theme of idols again. That's where we begin to see our idols. We've said before that anything we turn to to give us what only God can give us. That's our functional God. That's our substitute idol that we've given our lives to. And I hope this study this semester has been helpful for you in that way. It's been hard for me and convicting for me to wrestle through these idols As we've gone through this, I hope it's been helpful for you. And again, summer RUF, I do want to kind of dive into that and do some more practical work. Thinking through it with you together if you're here this summer. But the hard reality of this passage is that Israel's idolatry is what led to God's absence from their community. He would not remain with them. Unless someone intervened. But here's the good news for bad Israel. They had a representative in their camp who God would listen to. The text tells us, you heard it, that that Moses used to speak to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. He would go to this tent outside the camp. He would walk right in and speak to God on behalf of Israel. They had a representative like in a courtroom pleading their case before the judge. Since we first moved here last summer, I've had some real really kind of some privileged opportunities to do some neat things on this campus uh, and in this community, especially in the sports world. I've had the opportunities to like tour the facilities of like the basketball locker rooms and the baseball locker rooms and the football locker rooms a couple of times. I've been in the football locker room twice now. Met Hunter Renfro in the Clemson football locker room. He knew what RUF was. That's weird. Is that from y'all? Anybody do that? Clary? Somebody. <laughs> I've had access to some really neat opportunities. But here, like, don't get me wrong. It's not because I'm, I mean, I'm pretty cool. I'm not that cool. I, I have, like, I am there on behalf of someone else, right? Like, I have to have connections. And I've got some kind of cool connections in this town. A couple, you know, friends who are on the coaching staff who've taken me to these places and some other people in the athletic world. Without them, like... I have no access to these neat places. In fact, if I were in the Clemson football locker room on my own standing, someone would be like, sir, sir. I'm like, no, it's cool. I'm a campus minister here. I'm an affiliate. I've got an ID. You know, you got to go. You got to get out of here. And they would chase me out. And it would be embarrassing. And i would be in the paper. Anyway, the point is, but when I go with a representative, I'm, I, I get to really be in. I have these experiences. I'm in because they're in. Here's the good news for Israel. Moses was in with the Lord. It's amazing how much we've seen this man change over the course of this semester, right? And I almost wrote an entire different sermon just on how much Moses has changed. That would have been great. We'll save that for a series in 10 years from now. But when your kids are in RUF, no, that won't be right. All right, so <laughs> tough math. <laughs> But think about it. Think about Moses when we first met him. The, the, the fearful, bumbling Moses who, who said to God, I will not go. I, I cannot do it. And now he's changed into a man who pleads the case for his guilty community before the holy God. And he's even so bold to say in this passage, God, unless you go with us to the promised land... We will not go. Moses has changed. And so how did God respond to Israel's representative? Amazingly, in verse 14, the Lord said, Okay, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. It's good to have connections. Israel's mediator pleaded with the Father to extend his mercy to his people again. And not just to give them what they wanted, but instead to give them what they needed more than anything else, to give them himself again. And he listened, he listened to their representative. And if you flip through the next few pages of Exodus. After this story, some amazing things begin to happen. The covenant relationship is renewed. God gives them kind of these new tablets uh, of stone with the law written on them because Moses had shattered them before. And then he gives these instructions to set up this tabernacle, this tent where God will dwell now within the camp of Israel. And they will take this tabernacle with them on their kind of wanderings here in the future. But God is with them. That's what it represents in this cloud. And all these things happen. But everywhere they went, no matter what, everywhere Israel went, God was with them. God promised Moses, my presence will go with you. And he did just what he promised. Listen, if you're, if you're a Christian, and I know not everyone in here uh, would profess to be a believer. If you're a Christian, I want you to hear something so important as we wrap up this series. There's a prevailing thread that runs throughout the Bible, literally from Genesis to Revelation. And it's this promise That God will be with you. That God will be with you. And this means everything for the believer today. I want to trace this briefly. Abraham. When God told Abraham that he was called to lead a nation. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then when he told Isaac To be a sojourner toward this new land, he said, go, I will be with you. Then you come to Jacob, even after he stole the birthright and was on the run from two people that he feared would kill him. And he's caught in the middle. God came to him and led him to a land of rest. And he said, I will be with you. It's what he told Joseph after he was abandoned by his brother, sold into slavery, was falsely accused of a crime he didn't even commit, and God put him in a position of power to redeem his people. And over and over again, throughout that drama of Joseph's life, God says to him, over and over, I will be with you. It's what he told Moses at the beginning of our story when he first came to him and said, Go to Pharaoh. Do you remember Moses said, I can't speak eloquently can't speak very good. And God says, I will be with you and I will be with your mouth. And the story continues even after this one. You've got Joshua who's introduced very briefly in this passage, but then you go into Joshua's life. And when we meet him in the beginning of Joshua's book in chapter one, and they come to this river they can't cross, God says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Do not fear. I will never leave you or forsake you. And to David, just before he faces the nasty giant, when everyone tried to talk him out of it. David said, the Lord has been with me. When I followed a lion and a bear, he will be with me now. And even King Saul, bad King Saul, said, these were literally his words to David before he went to fight. And he said, the Lord be with you. And he was. And then to Isaiah, yes, we're going through the whole Bible. Isaiah prophesies. Of the bad things that are about to come for God's people, that they'll be in exile. And God says to His people through Isaiah, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Even in exile in a foreign land due to their own sins, the Lord says to His people, Fear not, for I am with you. Do you hear it? The thread that holds God's people together is the promised presence of God Himself with His people. No matter what they're facing, no matter what they've done or what's been done to them, God is with them. And then we cross the plane into the days of the New Testament. I was reminded of this even yesterday as I listened to a sermon by Pastor Sandy Wilson, who's in Birmingham. And he came to this passage where God promising to be with us meant... That there would have to be a young woman who would bear a son, who would bear the scandal of having a son, having a child without being married, and who would have to bear to watch her son die. And when Gabriel came to this young woman in Nazareth named Mary, you know, the first words that he said to her were greetings O favored one. The Lord is with you. And then comes the biggest reveal of God with us the world has ever known. When the baby in little Mary's womb was born and we know his name, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. When God took on flesh and lived with us, when God took on flesh and lived for us. Listen, God with us is not just a theme or an idea or some theological study. God with us is the thing we need more than anything else. God with us is our hope in this life. And so you may be thinking, how is it that God is with me? Doesn't he know what I've done? The idols that I've worshipped, the sins that I'm hiding even right now. Won't he leave and set up a tent outside the camp just like he did with Israel? You need to know that you have a better representative than even Israel did. Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, is the final mediator for God's people who pleads your case and mine in the courtroom of the living God. But this time he doesn't beg for mercy based on what we've done. He begs and pleads our case based on his own merit. The author of Hebrews says that Moses was faithful as God's servant. But Jesus Christ is faithful as God's son. And then in the very next chapter, he says, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens for us. Jesus, the very son of God. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way yet was without sin. So then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. To receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of our need. Listen, you have, you have, even now, a representative. You have a connection. God is with you. Because in Christ, God is in you. Can I give you one more God with us passage? The one that comes at the end of Jesus' life on earth. After his death, he... Spends several days with his disciples after his resurrection and he is with them in Jerusalem in a very famous passage at the beginning of Acts, 1, and he gives them some instructions. And through the instructions, he gives them a promise and he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in this world. The promise for believers today is God is not just with you, God is in you through the very spirit of God, living in you for all of your days until the day when you live with God in his presence forever. I love how Rankin Wilburn puts it up. I quoted him a lot this semester when he says the only thing better than having Christ by you is having Christ in you. God is now in you. That is the good news for God's bad people even today, sinners like you and me. And here's what I want to do. I want to end this series with uh, four implications for what this means for us as we close out our time. Four huge implications that this reality that God is with you has for anyone who is in Christ. And listen, if you're not a believer in Christ, what I want you to hear is this is an invitation. This is the very thing that you may be looking for. This is the truth that you can have and own. If you would trust in what Christ has done, even tonight. So here's the four implications. God with us means that you have a new identity. You are in Christ, and that means Christ is also in you. And everything that is given to Christ is promised to you in Christ. Ephesians 1 is a great passage that picks this up, that you are adopted into the family of God Every spiritual blessing, redemption and forgiveness and riches of his his grace and inheritance. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The price was the blood of Jesus himself. Now your identity is son or daughter of the living God. He is with you because he is in you. This means we don't have to go around chasing other lesser identities. It's great to be a Clemson student. That's not the best thing going for you. You know, it's great to be in a relationship where you feel like you are so-and-so's boyfriend, so-and-so's girlfriend. Doesn't hold deep enough. Your accomplishments, what you do in the next 10 years, that's not who you are. Who are you? You are a son or daughter of the living God. That is your identity. You're in Christ and Christ is in you. And because you're adopted into the family of God, here's the second implication. You have real security. And nothing will ever, ever take that away. I recently heard an interview with a family who adopted a child from China. And things didn't turn out as planned. Elizabeth Fitzsimmons and her husband had applied for an international adoption. So they went through the long, very emotional process that many of you are really familiar with. To be approved and then eventually to be matched and to get their visa and to go and to meet. And to bring home their new baby daughter. But as soon as they met her, they knew something was wrong. Elizabeth and her husband had indicated that they couldn't take care of a child with any sort of disabilities or difficulties, long-term illnesses. And actually in the application, they had checked the box to say, "We, we can't do this at this time. But once they met their placement, they learned that she had a form of spina bifida. And also there was a cyst on her spine, And the adoption agency, to their credit, basically gave the family a chance to back out while they're in the room with the baby girl. And Elizabeth said in the interview, she said, I knew this was my test. My life's worth distilled into a moment. I was shaking my head no before they had finished explaining. We didn't want another baby, I told them. We wanted our baby. The one who's sleeping right there. She is our daughter. We love her. I don't know how you think that God sees you. You may think that he's frustrated with you. That his arms are kind of wrapped in heaven. and He's looking down, just continually shaking his head. So disappointed. So frustrated. So done with you. I don't know what image you have of your Heavenly Father. Can I give you one that the Bible gives you? She's my daughter. That's my son. That one over there, that one, he's mine. I love her. That's how God sees you. God looks upon you with the smile of a new dad because in Christ you are his perfect son. His lovely daughter. That's how he sees you. Nothing changes that. Nothing changes your standing before God. Nothing can separate you, as Paul says in Romans 8, from the love of God that comes to you in Christ Jesus. Nothing. That is your new identity and that is your real security. On the cross, when Jesus cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't receive an answer. God was silent toward his son. He forsook his son on the cross. Why? Didn't he say, didn't he say to Joshua, I'll never leave you or forsake you? Here's why. So that he would always hear your pleas. So that he would never forsake you. God gave up his only son. So that you would never be given up. That is real security. Number three, you have a deeper purpose too. Your life is not your own and neither is your major. Your job is not your own. Your family is not your own. Your home is not your own. God brings real and deep purpose to your calling as a student, as a friend, as a child, as an employee. Did you know that you are a nursing major to the glory of God to bring healing and hope into a very broken and dying world? That you're called to be an engineer to advance the kingdom of God in this world. That you are an artist to mirror the watching, to the watching world the beauty and the creativity and the deeper thoughts of your God. You're an educator to the glory of God. You're in business to serve him and to advance his purposes in the world. Your major also does not define you. And your job will not give you enough purpose. I promise you this. But your identity in Christ defines you and your calling as a Christian gives real purpose to that job. Your identity is in Christ and it gives you purpose to whatever field God calls you in. Everywhere, no matter what, God is with you. It's what we said of Israel. The same is true for you. And number four, finally. God with us means that you have lasting hope. Uh, The more and more I get to know you guys, the more I realize that we have all been through some crap. (laughs) You know, like we've been through some stuff in our lives. And it's been a real privilege to talk through so many things. You hear your stories and what the Lord's been doing and to hear about the wounds and the scars and the hurt and the pain. It's real. There's a lot of pain in this room. And I hope I hope that RUF provides a place for you to be honest about that. Um, whether that's in you know your, your friend group as you build relationships, maybe it's in a community group, um, maybe you're brand new here and you say, I would really like to have something like that, a community. There's a place for you here. I hope that you'll be able to become more and more honest about the difficult things in your life because the Bible is very honest about these things. And I'm not just talking about the difficult things like finals. Yeah, finals. It's stressful. But y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about The addictions and the abuse, the self-harming, the alcoholic parents, the broken relationships, the pain, the real pain. The reason I want to bring this up is because God with us means that God is with us. God is with us. God has called you to be a part of a greater community. And that that greater community is not just RUF. We We are a ministry of the local church. But God has put you in a position to be around other believers who know this pain. And the Bible wants us as Christians to realize that we do not face sorrow and sickness and suffering alone. We endure alongside one another, pointing each other to the true and final hope that the gospel offers us. The Bible pictures the Christian life. This is so interesting. Throughout the scriptures, this comes out immediately after the Exodus story. You start to see it in the Psalms and through other areas, but you see it a lot in the New Testament. The Bible pictures the Christian life. You know how it pictures it? As wandering in the wilderness, hoping for a promised land. That's where we are in the story, right? Like that's literally what they're doing. And that's the Christian life. We're in this world wandering through, waiting, hoping to reach the land that God has promised one day. And all along the way, we will lose. We will hurt. We experience real loss and real pain. And there will be times where you feel like you've lost it all. I love that line from Corrie Ten Boom, who, you know, is the Dutch Christian woman who, along with her family members in the Netherlands, helped a number of Jews escape the Holocaust by hiding them in her closet. And she was arrested and put in jail for this. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And she says this great line. She says, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know that Jesus is all you need till Jesus is all you have. And I know how that sounds to you at age 20. And I'm not saying that as an old man, but I know like I know what that sounds like. You think you're going to have it all. There will be times where you feel like you have nothing. Except Jesus. And God is with you. God is with you. God is with you as you do head into finals. God is with you as you head into summer. And I know for some of you, summer is scary. You don't know the job and all that, but you also don't know how you're going to spend your time. You don't know how you're going to fight temptation. You don't know what it's going to be like to go back home because home is hard. The relationships are not good. God is with you. This summer, when you go on that trip, you know, as you head into that new world as a graduate, God is with you. I want to tell one quick sappy story about our daughters as well. Can I do that? Uh, we, this was a few years ago, and it's just so etched in my mind. This sounds like one of these things where, like, I'm a good dad. I'm not a great dad at all. But this is, like, me being a good dad in this moment, okay? But I'm getting to a quote, so I'm just setting it up. I'm not that great of a dad. I try. I fail. Disclaimers aside. Here, here's the story. We were in Huntsville. Jeff, we were riding by your home, kind of off of 565. That's my friend Jeff back there. I'll tell you who he is in a minute. We're on 565, and it was stormy, crazy stormy. And the girls were in the back, and they were scared out of their mind. They were probably like, uh, probably three and five at this point. So, like, crying scared of the lightning strikes, because we're riding over this river, seeing, pew, 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 so loud. And so Kelly, this is really more about Kelly's story. Kelly, like, tells me, get in the back of the car. Like, I was in the passenger seat, she was driving, and she told me to get in the back, sit between the two girls, and hold their hands. And so I did that, sat in the back, it was tight squeeze, cup holders, they were surrounding me, but I was safe. <laughs> and Lucy's on my right, Jordan's on my left, I'm holding their hands. And Jordan, who was three, had been crying, and, and her tears stopped. And she looked over, I just so remember her face, she looked over at me and she says, I'm really happy you're my daddy. I know. (laughs) What does God with us mean for you? Part of what it means is in the middle of the storm, everything's crashing down. But you might be able to look over at him and say, you know what? You're with me. Do you know that Jesus is all you need? God with us begins in Genesis and it continues the Revelation. One day when Jesus will be all that we have. And we'll know for all of eternity that he really is all all that we need. He's our lasting hope. If you are in Christ, this is your hope in this life. And in the one to come. If you're not in Christ, this this is your opportunity, your invitation. The book of Revelation ends with a vision. Of what's to come for God's people. When they do reach the promised land. And John was given this vision. And I want to read and close our time with a section that he records in Revelation 21. And as I read this, I want to just ask you to close your eyes. I don't do this much. I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand or anything. Don't get scared. I just want to read this text and I want you to just think about it. This is the lasting hope for you. Here's what John says that he saw. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and get this, he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son.